0: Welcome to GW Integrative Medicine, the podcast about disease prevention and health promotion from the Office of Integrative Medicine and Health at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences.
1: I'm Dr. Lee Frame, Director of the Integrative Medicine Programs here at GW. And
0: I'm Janet Rodriguez, the Office's Administrative Director. Today, we have PK Newby in the house. She is the nutrition doctor. That's Dr. PK Newby. And we're going to talk to her about sustainable eating and cooking mindfully during the coronavirus crisis.
1: Dr. Newby is a nutrition scientist, author, and entrepreneur. She was named one of the best undiscovered cooks on ABC's The Taste with the legendary Anthony Bourdain. On The Taste, she showcased plant based globally-inspired cuisine rooted in her unique healthy hedonism philosophy.
0: Dr. Newby has served on the faculties of Tufts, Boston University, and Harvard. She has 25 years' experience researching diet-related diseases, studying how people make food choices and their impact on the environment, and teaching why what we eat matters from farm to fork.
1: Welcome to DW Integrative Medicine, PK. Thanks. I am thrilled to be here. We are thrilled to have you. Uh, We hear you have an exciting project coming out. Um, So tell us a little about the story behind why you created this new ebook, uh, which is called How to Eat Plant-Based Recipes to Save Your Life and Our Planet.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'd be uh, honored to do so. You know, I am a nutrition scientist and um, author and food personality, and all those kinds of things uh, that I do. And I really am a science communicator at this point. So I spend most of my time teaching people about why we eat matters from farm to fork. And that really focuses on plant-based eating because we know that plant-based diets are better for health and longevity and also most sustainable for the planet. So I think... Basically, what has happened during the coronavirus pandemic is clearly people are cooking at home more, right? I mean, you know, we're sheltered in place. So we know that people have been cooking more. But, you know, what do you what do you think they're mostly choosing? Take a guess. What do you think the research shows? Probably comfort food, something that makes them feel happy or what they think makes them feel happy. Yeah, exactly. And that's totally understandable. I get it, right? I love food and I love all my favorite indulgences and there's there's recipes in my book about that which we'll get to in a moment. But, you know, if we do that all the time, we know that that's a recipe for long-term health disaster, right? We already have ep- epidemics of chronic diseases in this in this country. So, you know, w- it's important to help people to get back to healthy diets and sustainable eating. I mean, right before this was a thing, right, right, right before the pandemic happened, everyone was talking about plant-based diets, right? Plant-based diets and climate change. And that was, that was amazing because we need people to rethink what they're eating for their own health and, and for sustainability. But that message has been lost and that's totally understandable because we're in a major public health crisis, but As we get back to the new normal, we really need to get back to our our regular diets. And so that was um, that was sort of the the first place where I started getting back to your question. So why this new project? People that actually ask me, I have you know, I have active social media platforms and I'm already a published author, so people had been asking me oh hey maybe you should you know help people out with healthy eating and get some recipes out there and so i wasn't i was like well i have a blog there's hundreds of recipes up there you know i'm i'm not sure i'm i'm working on my other books i'm doing my thing and then over time i was like wait if i link it to a bigger cause then i'm down with that so that's when i got the idea to link it up with raising money for feeding america
1: that's that's great i and i totally understand that motivation of of
2: trying to link it to a bigger cause. Can you tell us more about that cause? Yeah, Feeding America is pretty incredible. I mean, Feeding America is the uh, the nation's largest hunger relief organization, and it serves about 40 million Americans per year. Now, that's on average, but we know that's going to increase uh, dramatically due to the unemployment Um, that people are suffering due to the pandemic. So for example, the the Feeding America estimates a $1.4 billion shortfall uh, due to the increasing need. And I think probably listeners have, have read the news and, you know, miles long lines at food banks, right? I mean, they're completely overwhelmed. They're out of food. And this is a major, major need. So when I was looking for an organization, uh, to, to support and to pair up with, for, with my, my book, I was like, Oh, this is, this is perfect. You know, I've, I care deeply about a wide range of food nutrition issues. So I'm, I'm not just sort of like a, a nutritionist dietitian, you know, my, my career has been focused on, um, healthy and sustainable eating. And also looking at major, um, you know, major food issues like hunger. So for me, you know, raising awareness and edging, pe- educating people, and of course, raising money for causes like that has always been a very big part of, of who I am and the work I strive to do.
1: Yeah, that's a, a really good point. I actually have a personal experience with that. Um, there was a local grocery store that was giving away one free bag of food um, between 4 and 6 p.m. on one day. And I live in a small neighborhood and um, our this, our version of this grocery store is much smaller than the typical ones. It's more I I'd say it's more akin to a bodega than it is a grocery store. Right. Uh, but even w- given that there were people lined up and not social distancing, so don't get me started on that. But <laughs> lined up for blocks and blocks to try and get one bag of food, and the traffic was totally backed up. The fire trucks and the police cars couldn't get through to try and direct people. It was complete mayhem. Because people are desperate right now, right? They need help just making ends meet and being able to feed their family. So I'm thrilled to be able to help you um, raise money for this cause of hunger in America. And how exactly is your book contributing
2: to that? So the book is... um it's a, it's a cookbook and uh, explains a little bit about my, my philosophy on eating. So actually I'd been meaning to write a cookbook in a while. People had asked me, but I have other kind of book projects and, you know, as you guys well know, cause you've been kind enough to, to, to work with me on my, my latest book, which is called food and nutrition, what everyone needs to know. So that's kind of my big book on all things you need to know, farm to fork, um, health, disease, sustainability, all the stuff. But part of how I teach that is you know, of course, cooking, right? So how do you put those things into practice and it's through cooking? So I had all these recipes and um, decided to put them in into this book. And at that point, It just, it wasn't enough though. It really, it really wasn't enough. So I really just wanted to find out, figure out a way to link it to a bigger cause. So I have a page over at feedingamerica.org. That is a, a charitable organization, a 501c3. And what you can do is go over there to that link and download the book And my cookbook is totally free. So I want to make it clear that you don't need to donate in order to access the book. Because I'm still partially driven, obviously, by wanting to help people um, make better and healthier and more sustainable choices through the pandemic and also beyond. So People can grab that book no matter what, but I'm hoping that by directing them to the Feeding America page instead of like, say, just my website or, or something like that, that they will be inspired to make a donation to Feeding America. So I just started this effort um, last week. So right now I'm just a little bit less than 3,000, and I've set a very high 50K goal because, again, let me remind people, $1.4 billion shortage in, you know, in food banks right now. And the best way you can help your local food bank is through money. Okay. The best way you can help is by making a donation. And so right now, you know, I have a a few anonymous donations. One is a thousand bucks. Of course I have plenty of $25 donations and $1,500 donations. And I'm looking for corporate sponsors too, because 50 K is really a very small amount, right? That's a drop in the bucket for 1.4 billion shortfall. So This way people can go and they can grab the book for free, whether or not they make a donation. But I hope people are driven if they're able to, to give and give generously to help feed our hungry neighbors.
0: That is so important right now, PK. So thank you for doing that.
2: Oh my gosh. It's, it's, it's an honor to serve and give back, you know, I mean, gosh, you know, I mean, you're welcome, but I don't, you know, I don't see it that way. I really feel like those of us with, money and with privilege. And I'm sitting here in my, you know, lovely condo in Boston, looking out the window at my, you know, my blooming cherry blossom tree. And, you know, there's so much need, you know, even those who are able to think about chronic disease prevention and maybe losing weight and, you know, feeding their family healthily that's actually a privilege, right? That's a privilege if we have the money and time to do so. Think about so many people in the world. Don't even have basic food and security and safety, right? We don't want to get me on this um, on this particular uh, thread because I'll cry. I just I've always had a heart for this, you know. So as I said, people were asking me for weeks to start giving recipes, and I was like, yeah, I'm just not into it, you know. I'd rather do some other stuff, and I was like, no. But if I can do this, that to me is the big. Pardon. That's the most important part is raising the money. It's not, it's not my cookbook because you can already get that information from me elsewhere. You know, it just was a way to raise awareness and, and help raise money. So, you know, those who are able to give should give and give generously. So it's, it's my honor and my privilege. And
0: I just, I just hope I, I hope I meet that goal because it's pretty high. <laughs> so how did this um, healthy hedonism philosophy develop? Healthy hedonism, it is a philosophy that I've,
2: I've held and written about for years, actually, but this is the first time I kind of put it out there in a book, um, In part because not everyone knows what hedonism means. So then some people are like, wait, what? What does that mean? Or they think it's just like about those, like, remember those old resorts, like the nudist resorts? They have this vision. I understand. I don't know. So I don't know. This is what I've been told. So I hadn't really, I was unsure whether it was going to, you know, be good, going to work out. But basically, you know, that's why the first page in the book kind of defines it for people in a fun way. Everyone knows what health is, right? So let's break it down. And to be clear, we know that health is not just the absence of disease, right? You guys know that there in your Department of Integrative Health. So uh, you really want to, you know, go with the World Health Organization, that health is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being. And uh I think that's important for people to remember because, especially when you're talking about food, right? Again, it's not just physical. It's not diet is more than medicine, right? People love to say, "Food, let thy food be thy medicine," and sure, it can be that, but it's so much more than that, right? It's a source of pleasure. It's a, a foundation of tradition and culture. So, food for health is a is a big um, is a big thing we want to promote health, we want to prevent disease, we want to have, you know, um, high well being. So that's the healthy part of the healthy hedonism. And hedonism is just pleasure. You know, it's just pleasure. It's just we want to feel good. And that's natural. Humans want to feel good, right? I mean, we evolved to to feel good to avoid death, you know, so it's just and plus food is delicious, right? So healthy hedonism is just a way of eating that brings all those things together. So yeah, you want to eat for health. And, to prevent disease and promote health and live a long time but you also want to you know live longer and enjoy that life not just have a life of like bland food and plus that's not going to work for people right we know that from nutrition that you know the age old advice just eat more fruit and vegetables we know these things don't work it needs to taste good it needs to fit in people's lifestyle and i think too often Um, nutrition experts can really um, work against themselves by being quite rigid about what people should eat. And we know denial doesn't work, right? We know denial doesn't work from the behavioral sciences and there's no reason. Indulge, enjoy yourself just, you know, in moderation. (laughs) So that's that's kind of the tenets. Eat healthfully, but also eat for pleasure and just balance it in a way that helps you maintain a healthy weight and keeps you disease-free and keeps you happy and keeps you healthy and all those things. Absolutely. I, I, ad-
1: I agree with that. I think one of the, the elements that maybe we should clarify is that what makes you happy, it may actually be different than what you think it is. So I feel like some people think that what makes them happy is like, I don't know, fried chicken and an ice cream sundae. And mm-hmm. that's a great treat, but if you eat that every day, that's probably not going to help with your mental health and your depression. Um, so, having some roasted vegetables with, you know, fresh herbs that are both delicious and healthy will help foster the mental health
2: in that more biomechanical way, and also you're getting the enjoyment and the pleasure. Lee, it's great that you point that out because my next book actually is going to be talking about how to put this all together, right? So. This my cookbook is actually not so much how to eat as much as what to eat, right? I was giving some, some ideas to, for people to cook for this uh, healthy hedonism philosophy of mine. And the vast majority of the recipes are, are soups and salads. That's the majority of my diet. And by the way, all the recipes are vegetarian, okay? Um, vegetarian or vegan, and there's some dairy in there. Now I also have some sweet treats and you know watermelon margarita in there because again people like um, people want indulgences and so do I right um, but I think that the 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 trick is how you manage that is how you put that all together right so the the big. Question people have for me is like okay, but you know what does that mean? So moderation, like how how often can I have that like this delicious chocolate stout cake? And it's wisdom, you know. And my next book is really going to go through how to help people do this. Now, so how does this relate to what you were saying, Lee? What what I'm saying is that, um, you know, yeah, that fried chicken and the mashed potatoes and all this, and you know, people do love it, and I think they, you know, those things are are delicious for sure. But we can change our palate is the key here right and that's a big topic i talk about in on all my platforms and in all my books that over time you can learn to find exactly as as you said those roasted vegetables with fresh herbs are delicious i mean again that's a regular part of my diet and i don't eat it because oh man i have to eat my vegetables right i eat it because it's so good and it also delivers a lot of health but it's delicious if it's not delicious i'm not going to eat it you know um so it really is important for your the listeners to, to get the fact that yeah, make make no mistake that we do need to change a lot of us do need to change our palate to um to enjoy healthier foods. And you can do that with the right recipes. And there you come back to my book again. Because those soups and salads are really, really delicious. That we're not talking about, you know, iceberg lettuce with no dressing because fat is bad for you. We're talking about really delicious salads bursting with whole grains and vegetables and fruit and nuts with amazing vinaigrettes. You know? So these are foods that are really delicious. And I know this, the, a lot of the recipes in the book are fan favorites, You know, people who have told me they really have incorporated into them into their into their regular mealtime repertoire.
0: Because healthy doesn't mean you have to forego flavor.
2: Absolutely.
0: And so much that has changed so much over the years about 15 or 20 years ago, I brought this great vegetarian cookbook called The Global Vegetarian. And it was, you know, vegetarian recipes from all over the world, which showed me, you know, 15 or 20 years ago, just because something's vegetarian or vegan does not mean it needs, it, it, it has to be boring.
2: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so, so true. So another way of thinking about um, healthy hedonism, which I can't believe I didn't say this before. So healthy hedonism is, um, is plant-based, globally inspired food. You know, food that is healthy and good for you, but also that tastes delicious. And I think that, as you were saying, Jeanette, you know, yeah, this food, if it's flavored well, if it's cooked well, if using big spices and herbs and, and all these things, with a little cooking know-how, not necessarily being, a you know, a chef, but with a little cooking know-how and savvy, you can really um, make... Vegetarian and vegan food shine, and people do need a little bit of help with that. I've found. Um, so again, ergo, the book helping people to to see that. Yeah, you know, sure. Do people like you know meat tacos at Cinco de Mayo today? But do people like meat tacos? Sure. But I have an amazing recipe for cauliflower tacos, and people love it. You know, it's one. It's a fan favorite, and kids surely will love that too. So you can swap in vegetarian and vegan fare. And ditch the meat, and it's better for you. It's better for your family. It's better for the planet.
1: So, is it safe to say, going back to the the palate, that you could somebody could get your book and use this as sort of a a palate reset tool? Because we know everything on it is is delicious. We know everything on it is healthy for you. So, if you take all of these recipes and and kind of utilize them as a way to reset your palate, that when you start to branch out that you might actually enjoy things that you previously wouldn't have enjoyed?
2: Yes, I think it can help. But there's, you know, as you know, there's many more steps than that. Because if someone is really used to a very high sugar diet, then they're going to, who knows how they'll react. So my diet is incredibly low in added sugar just because I, I cook so much and, you know, surely, not what I'm eating like you know indulgences, of course, then you're making things with sugar in it, but for the most part, my diet is incredibly low in added sugar and and low in salt and all of these things that most people eat a lot of, and it takes time to reset your palate, so we know from research that you know that could be and not just one or two times, and this is really important for kids too. it can take like ten times, you know, as you guys know, so it's sort of like um. I would like to believe that if people made my recipes the first time, they would like them just because again, a lot of them are soups and salads. So they're not high in sugar using that example anyway, right? But so I think, and I use very familiar recipes. I didn't use things that were more esoteric and might appeal like only to a vegan type audience if that makes sense. So yeah, I mean, it's a long winded answer. I'd like to believe that people could pick this up, make any of those recipes. And yeah, it will help to show them that healthy plant-based food, vegetarian food is, is delicious. I don't even think it would take an adjustment. Um, but in general, people need to, you know, kind of wean themselves off of sugar. You know, I love the example of coffee, right? Beyond my cookbook, but just I love the example of coffee because I used to drink coffee with cream and sugar when I was um, a kid. I started drinking coffee when I was 15 because I worked in a restaurant. Um, and then I was a grad student for a long time, so I, I've always drank coffee, and I always drank it with cream and sugar or milk and sugar, and it's delicious. It still is delicious like that. It's an indulgence. Um, over time, I stopped using sugar. Then I stopped using cream, and now and now for, I don't even know, at least a decade, more, longer now, maybe 20 years, I've been drinking black coffee, and it's a switch that most people can make. I've made it. You know, uh, my husband made it people, people can do it. Some people, if they have really sensitive taste buds, if they're really averse to bitter taste, we know those people exist, you know, the super tasters and people who are very um, sensitive to bitter taste. Taste. Maybe they won't like it. And literally, biologically, they can't kind of make that shift. But the vast majority of people are going to have, are going to be fine. But that takes exposure, right? It's not like I went from cream and and sugar to black coffee. And one day I was like, oh, this is delicious. But over time, it's, you know, it's, I don't even think about it anymore. And I love it. So I'm no different from other people in this way. I used to eat meat. You know, I, I, again, I worked in a restaurant. And when I was 15, my, You know, my midnight dinner after my bus busing shift was a burger and fries, you know, or or fish and chips or whatever. So I I, I ate like this, just like any other person in the U.S. We all have our favorites, but you can you really can adapt your palate to healthier choices. And, you know, I don't miss those foods at all. And I am healthier and making choices that are better for the planet. And uh, and it feels good. That's a, a really great point. I think sugar is a particularly good example of how this is
1: not going to be an instantaneous thing. You definitely need to wean yourself off of it. Um, and that changing of the palate is a great way to think about it. Um, but another example, and this is, I talk about this all the time because this is my guilty pleasure, is, is dark chocolate. So dark chocolate is generally considered pretty healthy for you, particularly if you're just having a small amount of it. But right. I think as kids, we all thought dark chocolate was disgusting. Right, you put the first time you had dark chocolate in your mouth, you were like, What is this? Because you were You're so right. used to like sweet milk yep. chocolate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yep, your yep, palate totally. over time kind of naturally gets away from that and towards the dark chocolate. And I think that's a great example of how just naturally, without even trying, your palate is developing. So think about now if you just take little baby steps intentionally, you can get there.
2: Oh, yeah, absolutely. If there's a will, there's a way and and like with all things with behavior change, yeah, if people want to, the first step is if people want to change because um that's always been the barrier in, in health behavior, but that's exactly why we need amazing recipes and kind of amazing role models um, for people to show them how to do it, you know, and so again, that's why I have my you know my philosophies cooking and eating the PK way and healthy eatingism is to show people that these are these things are possible and to model kind of how you do it. Uh, and it's something that I've become more forthright about it because whenever I talk to people like, but what do you eat? Like, what do you eat? And I was like, well, this is a science. You need to make it work for you. But people really want to know like what I do. And so I've, you know, I've brought in more stories and, and more examples of, of how we eat it because people really do need um, examples because, you know, going back to the cookbook, like I have, you know, some of my favorite desserts in there, you know, I have rhubarb up, upside down cake, I have watermelon margarita, I have a, this chocolate stout cake. And these are things, by the way, that in the book, I don't get into these, those are things I make like once a year, maybe, and I'm not Kidding, you know, whereas the other foods, soups, and salads are like everyday diet, you know, and that's an example by saying, you know, so people need to understand that it's not like, wow, look at this, you know, amazing cake. Look, she eats all these things. No, I barely eat that because if I did, I wouldn't look the way I did and I wouldn't have that enjoy the health that I enjoy, right? So people really need to understand and figure it out for themselves what moderation means. And I struggle with it all the time. And coming back to the coronavirus pandemic right now obviously it's super easy for all of us to get into comfort food all the time and a lot of my friends are baking all the time well i i can't bake all the time right i mean i wouldn't it's just not healthy i hate to be a killjoy about that but i love baking i grew up baking i love all those sweets but no i don't do that regular on a regular basis um and in general it's not good for people to as well because it contributes to weight gain and contributes to disease risk. And we're fighting a whole other chronic disease epidemic, right? Lee and Jeanette. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, wait, hold on a second. Someone once said, you know, coronavirus has a better publicist than climate change. (laughs) And uh, I thought that was a great line. And of course, you know, no one's poking fun at the, this very serious public health crisis. Um, But as we move into the new normal, And we need to really remember that we're facing a massive crisis that's far, far bigger than this coronavirus pandemic. This too shall pass. Climate crisis is ongoing and is catastrophic, right? So we come back to the need for plant-based eating. So I'm hoping this book can help reset people a little bit in a fun way and in a tasty way and in a delicious way and a, in a food porn way. I mean, I, I tried to use lots of pretty pictures <laughs> and the way that will help people be like, Hey, wait a minute for a second. You know, you know, I think by the way that part of why I waited a little bit to do this is I just didn't feel right doing this. You know, when the, when the virus first was growing, you know, we're talking the first couple of weeks, it's like, no, no, you know, I, no one wants to hear about diet and weight. That's just, that's annoying you know, that's just annoying. People are dying and dealing with all this, and then we're all sheltering in place. But we're, in a, we're more than a month in. And when you think about it, you know, China, we knew about in January. So this is like getting into a while that we've been living with this. So I think it's really important for people to take a moment and reshift what they're eating um, and for their families and You know, if you want to bake with your kids, I put in some recipes there for kids, you know, that are going to be fun projects. I have hummus, I have some salsas, uh, and I have peanut butter balls, which is one of my favorite treats that they're good for runners. I actually use them as post-marathon training treats, but they're great for kids. And this is an awesome idea for cooking a project for a kid and it's healthy and fun to make. And they're gonna love it, especially if they love peanut butter. Of course, peanut allergy people can use, you know, different nut butters and stuff. But this, I'm using this to juxtapose to people constantly making cookies and cakes. And this is what I'm understanding from a lot of my friends and people. They're just constantly doing this. Well, you're, we don't want to trade off, right? One crisis for another. I mean, everyone, I know, have you guys heard about the COVID nineteen. Yes, I have. Or, yeah, exactly. I, I've heard COVID-15, actually. You know, COVID-15. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And, you know, listeners, if you're you're not as old as us, as us, that used to be a thing that people would talk about going to college. I don't know if they still do, but, you know, you'd go to college and suddenly be on your own and gain 15 pounds. And I think if people continue eating the way I'm seeing they're eating, they're going to come out way more than that. Um, and that sucks. I mean, it's so hard to lose weight. Right. And we know that there's an increased health risk with weight gain. So it's just, you know, I think for a couple of weeks it's like, okay, great. You know, you go a little crazy. We're like cooped up and you do all these things with your kids. And then at some point you need to be like, okay, wait a minute. (laughs) Let's just like, at least let's have, you know, let's have salad again. (laughs) Let's have salad again. Enough with the pizza, enough with the burgers, you know, Um, let's remember, let's remember um, plant-based eating. It's better for, you know, it's better for humans. It's better for the environment.
1: speaking of which, we do have to wrap up, but I wanted you to let us know what is one of your favorite dinner recipes that's in this book, something that people
2: might want to make tonight for dinner? Oh my goodness. I think that's the one, the one I didn't, I didn't prepare for. I will say by way of introduction that every recipe in here I've made Everyone is a regular, I made many, many, tens of times, right? And they are a regular part of my diet. I think the one for people to try, because I I think I already mentioned it, um, is cauliflower tacos because people love tacos. I mean, who doesn't love tacos, right? And everyone loves this recipe. And it's just cauliflower is a really popular, is a really popular vegetable for kids. It's quite mild. So, they're more likely to like it than say broccoli, which is more, which is bitter. Right. So, so cauliflower is a, is very likable and very accessible. And of course everyone loves tacos. So it's just a really easy way. And I don't think there's anyone who's going to say, oh yeah, this is, this is going to take a while for me to like this. Um, no, it's cauliflower with like a bunch of, you know, very tasty, you know, Tex-Mex flavors. And then you put on your own fixins, wrap it up. There you go. And if, there you go. And, if, and if people switch that out for meat, that's a massive, massive boost to their health. But more importantly, it's a massive boost, boost to the environment, right? Because we know that meat is such a major contributor to climate change. So if people got, got into that recipe and they were suddenly doing that instead of meat-based tacos, gosh, that's a success that's really a health and environmental success. So I would say people should, should open up with Mexican cauliflower and you make a whole vat of it. And then when you have some leftovers, you're stuffed into tacos. Both the recipes are in there. All right. So this Taco Tuesday,
1: you can try out this recipe. To download Dr. Newby's free ebook, How to Eat Plant-Based Recipes to Save Your Life and Our Planet, visit bit.ly slash eat the PK way. That's B-I-T
2: dot L-Y slash eat the PK way. Thanks so much for joining us, PK. Oh, it's been a pleasure. I thank you so much for this opportunity.
0: This is the GW Integrative Medicine Podcast from the GW Office of Integrative Medicine and Health.
1: I'm Dr. Lee Frame.
0: And I'm Janet Rodriguez.
1: Thanks Thanks for for listening. listening.